Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. Mischaracterizing or twisting nominees' records or views. Nor should it be an avenue for persecution. You know, we've seen a growing pattern among Senate Democrats of hostility to religious faith. I, I have to say I was deeply troubled a few minutes ago to hear questioning of a nominee asking your personal views on what is sinful. In my view, that has no business in this committee. Article 6 of the Constitution says there should be no religious test for any public office. We have also seen Senate Democrats attack what they've characterized as religious dogma. We've seen Senate Democrats attack nominees for their own personal views on salvation. I don't believe this is a theological court of inquisition. I think the proper avenue for investigation of this committee is a nominee's record. So, Ms. Ryan, let me talk about your record, and let me ask you about your actual record, which is what this committee should be looking at, not our own personal religious views or your religious views, whatever they may be. And that was a uh, direct response by Senator Ted Cruz to one uh, presidential candidate and senator, uh, Cory Booker, who literally asked the judicial nominee, Naomi Ray, on uh, whether or not she considers gay uh, life a sin. And I'm just, I, I, you know, I watched that last night and I thought to myself, we're going down a very dangerous path here where it is considered totally acceptable to question a Christian politician's uh, morals and whether or not they can still uh, deliver in a civic manner as a judge or, or as a governor or as a Supreme Court justice. I mean, um, the idea that you would have a religious litmus test is not just anathema. It's, it's unconstitutional. And I was glad that, that uh, Senator Cruz actually called out Senator Booker. And I have to uh, remind Senator Booker that one of the things that almost eliminated him from the possibility of running in this next election was his attacks in the past over such things. You ain't Spartacus, okay? And it is unfair to ask Naomi Ray those questions. Um, she, by the way, an incredible nominee. She is in, uh, has been nominated to replace Justice Kavanaugh on the D.C. court. And uh, she, had a, she gave a great answer. Um, regarding Brown v. Board of Education. Let me move to another topic. Uh, do you believe Brown versus Board of Education was correctly decided? Well, Senator Brown is a, is a really important precedent of the Supreme Court um, and, and one that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, which, you know, was a, was a real black mark in our history. So you believe it was correctly decided? 
Yes, Senator. Um, as, a, as a judicial nominee, um, I think it's not appropriate for me to comment on the correctness of, of particular precedents. I would faithfully follow them um, if I'm confirmed. Do you believe that Griswold versus Connecticut was correctly decided? Um, again, Senator, that's a, that's a precedent of the Supreme Court, which I would, which I would follow. How about Roe v. Wade? Um, the same thing. It's, it's a long-standing precedent in the Supreme Court, which I, would, which I would follow if confirmed. Well, you know, I am struck by someone who has said that you were a victim of discrimination very unjustly and unjustifiably, and yet you're unwilling to say that Brown versus Board of Education was correctly decided. Well, I, I've, it's, a, it's an incredibly important decision of the Supreme Court, but, but again, it's, it's just... Well, Plessy versus Ferguson was a very important decision of the and Supreme it was, Court, and it was but it was wrong. And it was overruled by Brown. So that's why I'm giving you the opportunity to tell us you think Brown versus Board of Education was correctly decided. It's, it's an important and uh, long-standing precedent of the Supreme Court. Which and I so follow. it could be overruled, too. Uh, Senator, um, it's hard for me to imagine any circumstance um, in which Brown versus Board would be overruled by the Supreme Court. It's hard to imagine, but I'm asking you to state that you believe it was correctly decided. Unbelievable. Um, again, Senator, you know, it's Sherrod a, it's Brown a is a despicable human being, another one who thinks he's going to run for the presidency. In, in attacking Naomi Rao, you have to understand that what the Democrats are doing is absolutely against everything they say they stand for. Here you have a woman who is being, uh, you know, uh, uh, being targeted for the very things Democrats say they stand against. You know, the, the, um, the confirmation process that we had to endure when Brett Kavanaugh was, uh, up for the Supreme Court seat. Now, the proposed nominee to his old seat on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit is being targeted by, you know, allegations that are just bizarre to me. She is eminently qualified to be a judge. She's a former law professor. She's worked in Congress. She's worked in the White House in addition to all of her academic experience. She has long leaned right when she was in college and, and, and after that she wrote right-leaning opinion pieces. And that's what the progressive people have seized on. These old writings as evidence of racial insensitivity or hostility to sexual assault survivors. Unbelievable. You know, I would, I would almost want to say Democrats are reduced to pointless obstructionism. But that, uh, that would imply that they are going to be successful in obstructing. They cannot do that. Senate Democrats don't have the power. And now that they've done away with the filibuster for these lower court judicial nominees, um, while they were in control, mind you, the Democrats put that in place. Thank you, Harry Reid. Thus, they are reduced even further to pointless mudslinging. But it's not harmless. It's not fair to this 45-year-old solidly um, decent human being. You know, when she was young, like most young writers, she was, uh, you know, uh, 
opposed to things like identity politics. Well, that's not very popular on the left side of the aisle. And sometimes she, she, her writings come off a little nasty. I bothered to read some of her writings over the last couple of days as this hearing was, uh, as this hearing had begun. Actually, I read it before the hearing began. And more than once, she derided the uh, social justice politics as a, uh, uh, as a money-making issue. That's why. She, she called out Cornell West, um, Henry Louis Gates. But it could have been worse. You know, and instead, her saying that women, like men, have to uh, decide whether or not to get drunk doesn't mean she believes that uh, the victim should be blamed in a rape. She just said in an article when she was young that when two drunk college students have sex, the man being considered automatically at fault is not, uh, is not fair. Everything I quoted out of context yesterday or day before yesterday, you know, it was yesterday. And, and to look at these writings from college by these later day inquisitor generals, man, is offensive. Wasn't it Cory Booker himself? who had written something about uh, pawing some college uh, sweetheart or high school sweetheart. Yeah, it was. And that's why, you know, why can't they just keep the debate focused on what her judicial qualifications are? I'll tell you why. Because they, they, they're bankrupt. They have no moral compass. You know, I was reading an opinion piece in the Washington Post that I thought was rather interesting. It was written by Molly Hemingway, who's the senior editor at The Federalist. And um, she did not support Donald Trump. He wasn't her first or even second choice for, for president, but she was one of the few that predicted he would win. She also predicted that he'd be a progressive as a president, and which is why she didn't support him. So she wrote this editorial to say, guess what? I'm very happy that he is the president now and I support him. Because, you know, she looked at the New York liberal that he was and she was concerned. He had just left the Democrat Party, had raised a ton of money for people like Bill and Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. He supported single-payer health coverage when he was younger. He even supported tax, uh, Planned Parenthood. Even supported tax increases. He was your typical New York liberal who conquered the Republican Party by promising a good Supreme Court nomination. And guess what? Uh, Molly Hemingway uh, admits in this editorial that was all she hoped for. Maybe to get a Supreme Court nominee. She didn't get just one. She got two. And I'll tell you what. He appointed 12 outstanding federal appellate judges. A record number for a president in his first year. President Barack Obama, the Nobel Prize winner, had only three in his first year. He left the Paris Climate Accord. Certainly, uh, we conservatives love that. Clean Power Plan, which gave the EPA unprecedented authority over states. Um, he revoked 22 regulations out of that. And look, they, they can't get used to this guy. They don't like him. The disruptor has come to Washington to disrupt things. And the, uh, the, the, the dyed-in-the-wool power brokers up there hate him. 
But people like Molly Hemingway are coming around and people like me are getting to pat ourselves on the back and saying, you know what? Let's give this guy a try. Let's see what he can do. We got Betsy DeVos, who I didn't support. I thought it was one of his poorest picks. And now I'm looking at, she rescinded those guidelines that encourage college administrators to adjudicate crimes like sexual assaults. Hey, I'll tell you, at this point, he moved the embassy. At this point, the only thing that he has done that upsets me is, uh, you know, vacating some parts of the Middle East. And while, you know, Molly Hemingway says she doesn't like his style, she doesn't like his juvenile insults and intemperate disposition on full display recently, she says a boorish attitude actually has come in handy after decades of media bullying of conservatives. Just, just marinate, let that marinate in your, in your brain for a minute. His boorish attitude has come in handy after decades of media bullying of conservatives. Welcome back. Uh, of course, uh, the president last night challenged the governor of New York. Well, he didn't actually challenge him. He just pointed out what a piece of garbage he was. Um, and the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, uh, or as uh, the president referred to him, Andy, <laughs> um, responded with an editorial, of course, in the New York Times, and in which he defends this law in New York. And here is, uh, you know, part of what he says. He said, in the State of the Union address, President Trump attacked the law that New York passed last month, codifying a woman's right to an abortion. That is not what the law does. The president's diatribe was part of the far right's escalation of its assault on a woman's constitutional rights. Now, let me point out to people that when the founding fathers drafted these documents, they did not draft separate documents for men and women. It's amendments that have brought women into some very key uh, areas like the ability to vote. It is worth recalling, uh, Governor Andy says, that in 1999, long before he ran for president, Mr. D Trump described himself as very pro-choice. Today he claims to be, now this is what he uses, anti-choice. And he shamelessly courts the religious right to win votes. Too much of today's political discourse is extreme, but emotions run especially high when politics and religion intersect, as in the debate about a woman's right to choose. As a Roman Catholic, I am intimately familiar with the strongly held views of the church. Still, I do not believe that religious values should drive political positions. He doesn't believe that any kind of value should drive positions. He said, I signed the Reproductive Health Act into law to protect against the Republicans' efforts to pack the Supreme Court with extreme conservatives to overturn the constitutional protections recognized in Roe v. Wade. You know, let me, um, let me point out that the right of privacy, which is the premise for Roe v. Wade, is a really um, much maligned way to go about this kind of legislation. The Reproductive Health Act says a woman can, uh, you know, terminate a pregnancy when the fetus is not viable, according to the governor, 
not true. This does allow third trimester abortions, and that is why they are hypocrites. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, sir, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. Welcome back. Joyce Kaufman with you. And we are uh, going to be checking in with a gentleman who uh, always helps me to understand legal matters, especially when it comes to election law. And, uh, and that becomes ever so confusing for me. Hans von Spakowski is an authority on civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, and my other favorite subject, immigration. How are you, Hans? Joyce, I'm doing great. Thanks. Oh, well, I'll tell you. I don't know about you, but uh, watching that uh, State of the Union address last night was about as good as it gets for for me. Uh, most of my issues were touched, um, and I'm, I'm just still holding on to hope that uh, we're going to see uh, uh, security at our border and elections with integrity. Oh, listen, I have to agree. I, I think that was one of the best. State of the Union speeches I've ever seen. It was it was really good. It was wonderful the way, you know, the president talked about American greatness and tying it in to our history, yeah. and then uh, presenting you know individuals, guests um, uh, who were up in the gallery who had who had participated in that history. I mean, I I just thought it was a su- superb speech and. You know, it was very clear the Democrats had a tough time doing what they wanted to do, which was to protest and boo and everything, because the entire speech, all throughout it, whenever he was talking, he was asking them to, you know, put aside politics, to cooperate, to try to do what's best for the country. And I I think they had a very difficult time uh, reacting the way they would have wanted to. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think he really showed them. Uh, for who they are, and who they are is not very nice in many uh, in many areas. Not the least of which um, was him having the boldness to talk about uh, uh, abortion. You know, something that very few presidents, oh, yeah. you know, will dare to do. Uh, I mean, not since Ronald Reagan have we really heard anybody speak that uh, that way. So it's uh, it was it was a home run for me. Uh, and you know, in the meantime, I've been and then they then they select the the responder is this Stacey Abrams, someone who is still questioning the results of an election that she lost but not even by close enough of a margin to demand for there to be a recount you know the the left is kind of holding on to this while you're stopping people from voting nonsense when it's just not true no in fact that is that is a fantasy creation of the left and stacy abrams continued it last night talking about vote vote suppression there is no vote suppression going on i mean i mean think about this one of the claims that she made back in her case was that the state of georgia was acting in a discriminatory manner and trying to suppress votes why because they wouldn't agree to count ballots that were cast outside of a voter's assigned precinct now Look, you and I both know that's the rule in almost every state in the country and has been for decades. That's always been the traditional way we vote. You get assigned to a precinct, 
that's where you go vote. There's a lot of very reasonable uh, grounds for doing that. And yet she was claiming that that uh, uh, it's it's vote suppression <laughs> if if you go not only the wrong precinct but you go to a different county right. and try to vote. And if that vote's not counted, somehow you're trying to keep people out of the polling place, which is just ridiculous. Well, a lot of what the you know they say is is pretty ridiculous. You know, one of the things that I've been looking at or trying to understand is this uh, HR one A, which um, you know as as far as I'm concerned. Um, calling it a For the People Act um, is really uh, despicable because it, it is not for the people at all. No, this, this, is, um, this is the big, almost 600-page bill that the Democrats have dropped um, to, to, in essence, uh, take over uh, the election process that the states now run. And it has all kinds of mandates in it, many of which are bad policy, others are Un, unconstitutional, uh, and it's just one thing after another. And and to give, give an example that's relevant to Florida, look, the the people of the state of Florida went went to the polls um, last November, and they decided on when they wanted felons to get their voting rights back, and right. they they made a distinction between violent felons and nonviolent felons, uh, as I understand it, in their referendum. Yes. Well, this federal provision. Uh, this federal law has a provision that mandates that every state has to immediately give the right uh, back to felons to vote. The moment they are out of prison, whether they are violent felons or nonviolent felons, and whether or not they've paid uh, restitution to their victims or other court costs um, uh, order, ordered by a court. The point here is, is that this is very anti-democratic, besides being unconstitutional. They want to take away the ability of the voters in each state to make their own decision about this and, and mandate it from, from Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, in all of this gigantic bill, and I, I read uh, the, the, the uh, testimony that you gave in front of the Congressional Committee, I mean, the one thing that's obvious to even a non-lawyer like me is there's just a whole lot of the same stuff said differently throughout this bill um and and it's all premised on stuff that makes no sense to me oh look i i agree with you it it covers this just whole wide range of area and some of it is not just bad policy and constitutional i mean some of it is just ridiculous i give you another example which is a little bit outside the election area there's a provision in there that says that um no political appointee of a president can be involved in any matter in which the president is named. What that means is is that if the president is sued, like he was, remember, over the travel ban? Right. Uh, when, he, when he suspended entry of aliens from certain terrorist countries, you know, the state of Hawaii filed a lawsuit against Trump, ended up for the U.S. Supreme Court, and, and they issued a decision pretty much up, upholding uh, the government. But the name of that case was Trump versus Hawaii. Well, if this law had been in place, None of of President Trump's political appointees, including his attorney general, could have been involved in defending that litigation and defending his travel ban. That that is just, I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. And besides being, you know, completely unconstitutional and an interference with the with the president's executive authority.
Yeah. Well, but, you know, when you look at some of these, uh, you know, stories that have come out now that are, you know, valid stories, like 58,000 non-U.S. citizens may have voted in at least one election in Texas. I mean, people like you and I have been saying this is going on for a long time. And I don't I don't know about you, but I've been called everything from a racist to a Hispanophobe to, a, you know, just a creep. Um, and yet here it is. Um, Texas election officials found tens of thousands of people whose U.S. citizenship could not be confirmed were casting ballots. Yeah, and a week a, a week after that, Pennsylvania admitted right. that they had found over 11,000 uh, non-citizens on the voter rolls in Pennsylvania, a state that, as you know, uh, has had some pretty close elections in, in recent years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, here again, very little coverage of that, that those two stories. I mean, a passing coverage on uh, you know a conservative website or two, um, a mention on Heritage Foundation website, and I didn't see it on my nightly news on CBS or NBC. Uh, no, because they don't want to. They don't want to cover that issue. No. Uh, now the president didn't talk very much about that last night, even though Stacey Abrams did. But as you know, he covered a lot of other issues, including immigration and and foreign policy affairs. Yeah, it was interesting. She gave a response to a speech he didn't give, but that she thought he yeah. might. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And did you bother even listening to the uh, State of the Union address? Because then maybe you could have been more appropriate in your response. But you know, it's just one has to get weary when. They watch. Um, how do you not stand up and applaud for lower unemployment rates in minority communities? I mean, uh, it's mind-boggling to me. And you know, if someone says we want America to not be socialist, we believe that we were born free and we want to remain free. How do you stay in your seat? It's, right. I, I just uh, I'm I'm completely confused by what happened to a party that I grew up in. You know, my father was a yellow dog Democrat. I grew up in a working class family where everybody was a Democrat. And I don't think he would, you know, I'm I'm glad he didn't live to see the party as it is today. Yeah, look, that that entire speech was a speech in which, um, you know, the the idea of patriotism was was there throughout the entire speech. The idea of of uh, uh, being loyal to this country and its great principles and and how important patriotism is and I think it was pretty tough for uh, Democrats to be booing that kind of thing, which was another example of you know Do- Donald Trump. I I think he out uh, he he outplayed the Democrats at that speech last night. Yeah. And finally, on HR one A, I mean, do you think that that it actually, um, you know, would make it harder for people to get into races and win them against incumbents? It seemed to me like it really just keeps. We just keep putting out policies that make it much easier for incumbents to hold on to their offices. Oh yeah, look, there's a whole huge big section of this bill that has to do with all these uh, new restrictions and amendments to the the campaign finance laws right. that govern people running for Congress and the presidency. And I can tell you, having looked through them as a former FEC commissioner, all of them uh, will p- protect incumbents mm-hmm. and will make it harder, not just for challengers to go after them, but for uh, you know, uh, uh, organizations, nonprofit organizations, and others, and the public 
to criticize um, and and hold politicians accountable. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, you know that that you're still one of the experts that gets tapped on to to go address them. Although I'm sure that half of the people sitting in any of these committees is paying no attention to what you say. It's <laughs> 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 just the nature of your your business right now. Yeah, unfortunately so. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hans. Always appreciate talking with you. Sure thing, Joyce, anytime. All right, take care. The Heritage Foundation is a public policy research and educational organization, and Hans is its civil rights and election law expert. Sometimes I don't know what some of the lingo is around here. Is that some, like, social media thing, Hootsuite? Oh, okay. So um, I uh, <laughs> now I know the login. <laughs> Not that I will use it at all, but... Yeah, you use it every day. Oh, well, good. Alex, Lexi needs it, not me. It's literally the best. Really? You could schedule like Instagram posts or Twitter or Facebook posts in advance. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But I like doing it live. You know, that's yeah, like half, half the fun. Is... But let's say like you have to post at 12 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was posting at 12 o'clock last night, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have pre-posted, I probably would have gotten a little more sleep. But uh, what fun would that be? I wouldn't have gotten to see all the psychos that were still up and still on Twitter um, regarding all of the State of the Union stuff. Hey, it's part of my job. It's my job. And I like it. Um, anyway, at uh, 2.30, I'm going to be talking with Dave Ray from uh, Federation of American Immigration Reform because there's a lot of mixed feelings about what we heard last night. And one of the things um, of that people understand is my take on immigration. And I just want to share with you what I thought about this, uh, that part. There wasn't enough about immigration, but there was there was some good stuff in there. Everything he said about immigration, um, you know, right, right about midnight, I, um, I was happy to see that the, that the president got through his State of the Union section on immigration without any big announcements. I was really nervous that there was going to be some kind of new comprehensive compromise plan. I, I actually was bracing for some major backtracking. So when he moved on to the trade issue, I, without offering an amnesty or asking for more guest worker programs, I was elated. Um, now, last year in his State of the Union address, um, he, he said some things that I liked a lot more. Um, he dealt with a lot of the broad issues of immigration. But after the partial government shutdown that uh, wreaked havoc in everybody's numbers, I guess he had to build some public uh, support for the chaos that is uh, on the southern border. And boy, is there chaos right now. Thousands of people trying to get in. Um, I love the fact that he proclaimed a moral duty to have an immigration system that protects the lives of Americans, but also their jobs. He said that as he laid out the best case yet for more fencing in the strategic areas while uh, not offering to get it by trading the interests of wage-earning Americans through amnesties and new worker importation programs. He didn't call for an end to the uh, visa lottery like he did last time or chain migration. Um, And he did focus on... Um, the stopping and, and catching illegal immigrants, he didn't call for mandatory E-Verify, which is 
really the the most important thing to me um, and will make such a difference. It'll cut off the jobs that are the main magnet um, and that draw lots of people here. At least that's what we're being told, right? He did focus less on the illegal immigrants and uh, the criminality because it doesn't play well for him. But, uh, you know, I don't know why he uh, went with the part about we want more legal immigrants. You see, I disagree with that. I think we already are taking in more than enough legal immigrants. And I don't think we have to increase that number at all. I think what we have to do is start better educating our kids so that they can take these jobs that they keep telling me the uh, Silicon Valley giants can only find people in uh, India and the Middle East to take. Stay right where you are. We'll be back right after the news.